0: Romans 5, 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So this verse, it refers to two men, Adam and Jesus, Jesus who is the second Adam, the first Adam failed and plunged the world into sin. The second Adam triumphed over Satan and has made sinners righteous. All sinners who put their faith in the victorious second Adam, Jesus Christ, are made completely righteous. So God looks upon you, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he lavishes his favor on you. And you can break up the the book of Luke. We're in in a series on the book of Luke. You can break up the book of Luke into three parts. So you have Jesus' childhood at the beginning of Luke. At the end of Luke, you have the ministry of Jesus and the crucifixion. And then in this middle section where we are now, there are two key preparatory events. Pastor Tim talked about the baptism of Jesus, so that's one. And then second is the temptation of Jesus. And you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Satan tempts, God tests. I think that might help you as you read through your Bible. Um, Satan tempts you because he wants you to fall into sin. God tests us or he allows testings in our lives because he wants to test our metal and he wants us to succeed. There are three great testings in the Bible where Satan himself tests the servants of God. You have the testing of Adam, Job, and Jesus. And the temptation of Jesus very much parallels the, te- the testing of Job. You have Three parts, you have approval, testing, and then restoration. In Job 1, verse 8, God shows his approval. He boasts and he declares his pleasure in Job. He says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Job 1 through 41, basically the rest of the book, Satan tests Job. At the end, God restores the fortunes of Job, giving him twice as much as he had before. Now here in Luke chapter 4, we have the baptism of Jesus, and actually I guess that's Luke chapter 3, and God boasts and he declares his approval, his pleasure in Jesus. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Then immediately Jesus comes up out of the water, and he heads out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. This is a time of testing. Throughout his life, Jesus is tempted by the devil, directly here in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, through religious leaders who questioned him, through Peter who questions the need for the cross. And Jesus even says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. And through the cross itself, where Jesus is tempted not to go through with it. But Jesus turns away from temptation every time. He obeys God every time. And ultimately, God restores his fortunes and gives him the name that is above every name. So in our text, Jesus has just been baptized. He goes into the wilderness he fasts. And kids, that means he doesn't what? He Eat. eats. Eat. some older kids too. <laughs> um, he fasts for 40 days, and then he is tempted by Satan. Three specific temptations. Number one, turn this stone to bread. Two, worship Satan, and you'll get the kingdoms of the earth. And three, jump off the temple, and God's angels will catch you. So why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in Luke chapter 4. I'm borrowing Chloe's Bible. Is that okay, Chloe? I forgot to ask. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended... For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And And then the devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that, like we sang, that your anointing would be on me, that I might preach your word truthfully under the power of your Holy Spirit, that you might open our hearts to receive from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus goes straight from being baptized in the Jordan into the wilderness to be tested. Verse one, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So Jesus is baptized to begin his ministry. And then he, then full of the, and then he's full of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to be effective in ministry. You better believe that we desperately need the Holy Spirit if we are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. In whatever ministry you do, whether with children, with adults, with the food bank, etc., we need the Spirit working through us. The first thing the Spirit needs Jesus to do is to go away from people to have a time of solitude, 40 days by himself. John Piper says, Jesus went away from family and friends and crowds and lived in the desert for 40 days. That's almost six weeks. No radio, no television, no computers, no billboards. And this wasn't the only time. Luke 5.16 shows that other times, Jesus went away alone. It must be that preparation for ministry demands significant times of solitude. I don't know what your takeaway is going to be, but that was one of my biggest takeaways in preparing this message. It must be that preparation for ministry demands significant times of solitude. We simply can't maintain a radical God-centeredness under an unbroken barrage of human interaction. The depth and value of what you bring in your heart to other people will depend on what you do with your solitude. Time alone is so important. It's critical if we want to do great things for God. Because otherwise, we are just filling our calendars with activity. Back to verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So he returns from the Jordan, right after being baptized, he goes straight away to be tempted. From approval to testing. From his place of honor and recognition, he goes right away to face testing that will prove his mettle. That will prove his worthiness to be the one with whom the Father is well pleased. He's full of the Spirit as he's led into testing and temptation. God does not tempt anyone himself, James 1 verse 13. However, in his sovereign plan, he intends for us to be tested. He intended for Jesus to be tested all things work together for good for you, dear Christian. Even your trials, your testings, your temptations, count on it. Bank on it. And God has given you mighty weaponry in order to deal with your temptations. According to Ephesians chapter 6, he has given you the shield of faith, which blocks every, every single fiery arrow that the devil might sin against you. There is a sense in which every time we sin, it is because of a lapse of faith. And when your shield is up, you're safe. He has given you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's word is a powerful weapon in fighting temptation. So Jesus faces Satan clothed in the full armor of God. He faces every temptation with faith. He wards off every attack by quoting scripture. He slays the devil with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Jesus, he faces this temptation while doing a 40-day fast. Reminds us of Moses in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 9. And Elijah in 1 Kings 19, who also fasted for 40 days. Verse 2 says, being tempted. This indicates that Jesus was actually tempted during the entire 40 days. And the three temptations we see here are the culmination of Satan's attacks. Now some might argue, well, Jesus was God. He wasn't really tempted it's just to show. But look at verse 2 again. It says, He was hungry. Jesus in his humanity had cravings and desires just like us. He was a normal man. He was human. Now studies show that in an extended fast, the hunger goes away. But near the 40-day mark, hunger returns. Jesus was really Hungry? Are you familiar with the acronym HALT? When you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you need to halt because you are dangerous. (laughs) You're dangerous to yourself. You're dangerous to others. Some I've thought about this many times. There are some times where I like I need to get away from people. I'm not safe right now. Um, So 40 days in the wilderness is reminiscent of the children of Israel and how they were tested for 40 years in the wilderness of Sinai. And as we go through this text, you're going to see all kinds of parallels between Jesus' temptation here and the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. When Jesus faces temptation, he quotes scripture every time. I want to encourage you. Memorize scripture. Scripture memory is not just for kids in Sunday school. After you graduate from Sunday school, you still need your sword. You still need to have scripture ready for the attacks that you are going to face. So Jesus quotes scripture against Satan. And each time when he quotes scripture, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Scriptures that go back to that time when God's people were tested in the wilderness. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I'll, I'll do there in just a couple minutes. Deuteronomy 8. So Jesus will resist temptation over the devil where the Israelites were defeated. Jesus will succeed one day for each year where the Israelites failed. 40 days for 40 years. So temptation number one, turn this stone to bread. Oh, I should have told you to keep your finger on Luke 4 as well. (laughs) Verse 3, the devil said to him, this is Luke 4, verse 3, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Deuteronomy 8, 3, man shall not live by bread alone. And notice how Satan begins his attack on Jesus. If you are the Son of God, he questions Jesus' identity. Prove it. Prove that you are the Son of God by doing this miracle. Later, when Jesus is on the cross, Satan would try the same tactic as he speaks through the people. Matthew twenty-seven forty. If you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Does the devil really not know that Jesus is the Son of God? I'm certain that he does know. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son. So what is Satan doing here? Is he playing dumb? No. He's doing exactly what he did in the Garden of of Eden. He is questioning the veracity of the Word of God. God says, this is my son. Satan says, are you really the son? He's challenging God. Just like in the Garden, he's tempting with food. Maybe that's your greatest temptation here this morning. It is for a lot of us. If you have ever fasted, you know that during that time you get really hungry. The first few days, you feel like you're starving. They say that after three to four days, the hunger goes away. And maybe that is true for most people. But I remember one time I fasted for nine days and the hunger never (laughs) went (laughs) away. I kept waiting for it. But supposedly it goes away after three to four days and then it comes back around 40 days. And it comes back with a vengeance. Because at 40 days, you do need to eat, or you really will starve to death. So Jesus, at this point, has ferocious hunger pains that have come upon him. The lion of the tribe of Judah is longing to eat. And when Satan says, turn this stone to bread, Jesus responds, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew 4.4, 4, which includes another account of this same story, includes the whole statement. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is directly quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy is often called the second law. Now some of you, you're afraid of Deuteronomy because you think it's like Leviticus. Now, I know Kellan gets very dazzled by Leviticus. Maybe the rest of you have more challenges. Deuteronomy is not like that. Deuteronomy is great. If you haven't read Deuteronomy in a while, read it. It's wonderful. So Moses, after the 40 years in the desert, in Deuteronomy, he's teaching Israel again, the second law. In Deuteronomy 8, he tells them to remember when they were hungry in the wilderness, And God gave them manna to eat in order to humble them and to teach them that we don't live just by food, but by God's word. So now, Deuteronomy 8, you should have it ready. Starting in verse 2. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives, let's say it together, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So you see the parallels are very explicit between the testing of Israel and the testing of Jesus. So they're both being tested, they're both in the wilderness, 40 years, 40 days, hunger is involved, bread is involved. The question for both of them is this. Will you trust God to provide for your needs? The key challenge is Will you keep God's commandments or not? Will you obey him? Will you trust him when times are tough? Now we're surprised to see that last phrase in the Old Testament. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It sounds very New Testament to me. But it should not surprise us. Because the apostle John is very clear that the word of the Lord has been around since before the foundation of the world. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So yes, we need bread to live. We need food for our physical bodies to stay alive. But true life, eternal life, comes from the word of God. It comes from Jesus who calls himself the bread of life. When you get hangry, more than physical food, you need spiritual food. You need Jesus. You need the bread of life. You need the scriptures. They are your meat. They are your food. They are your bread. Next, Satan tempts Jesus to gain power through illegitimate means. Through a manner that avoids ending up on a cross. Temptation number two. Worship the devil and get the world. Go so back to Luke chapter 4 beginning verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship it will all be yours. So the devil takes Jesus on a field trip. They ascend up. Now, I wasn't sure if they were levitating or climbing a mountain, but I checked Matthew. The Matthew version, it says they climbed the mountain. So no floating going on. (laughs) And from that vantage, Jesus can look out west toward Europe and the Roman Empire. He sees south towards Africa and east toward Asia. And Satan says, you can have it all. It will all be yours. Now, there's a lot to think about here. Does Satan really have all that power? Does he have authority over the kingdoms of the world? If you notice in the text, Jesus does not challenge him on that point. But let's, for argument's sake, let's say he did have that power. Was he really willing to give those kingdoms up to Jesus? We must remember that the devil is a liar, he is the father of lies. How honest is he being here? It's difficult to say. But there is a sense in which Satan does have some authority over the world. John 12, 31, Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world. 1 John 5, 19, the apostle John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there is a sense in which the devil has power over the world. However, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Daniel 4:17. I think this is the verse that Satan was alluding to when he said, uh, "For it had verse six, it has been delivered to me." He was alluding to Daniel 4:17. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. God gave Satan authority over this world. I don't know if that fits in your theology, but it's in your Bible. So, any authority that Satan might have would have had to have been given to him by God. Romans 13, verse 1, there is no authority except from God. Jesus tells Pilate before the cross, you would have no authority except, if it were not given from above. Therefore, in the line of authority, we have God, Satan, kingdoms of the world. So yes, Satan has authority, but only under God. Satan is God's little devil. His authority is limited by the one who has all authority. So if Satan gets God to worship him, if Satan gets God the Son, Jesus Christ, to worship him, the only thing that changes in the line of authority is that the second position moves up to the first position. Both God and Satan would still be over the kingdoms of the world, but if Jesus worshipped the devil, then Satan would be over God. It is shocking that Satan would even suggest such a thing. Perhaps as some say, Jesus may have seen this as an opportunity to save humanity without the cross. John Piper says, Satan had one aim in the wilderness, to do whatever he could to keep Jesus from suffering. He was willing to let Jesus have all the glory and authority of a world ruler if he he just would not gain it through suffering. He was eager to let Jesus use his divine power if he would just use it to relieve his suffering. He was willing to let all the worshipers in Jerusalem see and acknowledge His divine sonship if only the angels of God would keep Jesus from suffering. Now, I don't think for a moment that Jesus was going to give in to that temptation. But we do all the time. We are always trying to escape suffering. We'll be stern with our wives or harsh with our kids just to gain a little peace and quiet. How far will you go to avoid suffering? Did it ever occur to you that God uses suffering for good in many ways in our lives? And maybe this suffering that you're going through right now, God intends for good. Would you grant that? Maybe. Romans 8.28 If you know me, you know I'm not going to do (laughs) that. Romans 8.28 Guaranteed. If you are a follower of Christ, the suffering you are going through right now is intended for your good. Jesus' suffering on the cross meant salvation for the world. Yes, God does use suffering to accomplish incredible good in our lives I said I don't think Jesus is really tempted by this I think Satan just throws it out for shock value this temptation is nothing less than a temptation to break the first and the second of the ten commandments number one have no other gods before me number two don't worship anything or anyone else and if God the son puts Satan before God the father If Jesus bows the knee, if you have God worshiping Satan, then you do truly have a universe that is on its head. And Jesus recognizes the absurdity of Satan's request. Look at verse 8. Jesus responds, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Worship and serve. Now Jesus may be alluding to Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 Samuel chapter 7, all scriptures that connect worship and service. Do you realize that worshiping God and serving God are connected? If you're not serving Him, then you're not truly worshiping Him. You're just giving lip service the context of the Deuteronomy 6 passage includes what's called the Shema from the first word of Deuteronomy 6 4, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear so verse 4 hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one not multiple gods, not Hindus one God verse 5 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. To worship Satan would have been a transgression of the greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart. Another thing to note here, Satan is offering Jesus earthly kingdoms. The kingdoms of this world. But Jesus was on a mission to establish a heavenly kingdom. He made that very clear to Pilate, I believe, in John 18 36. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. Temptation number three test God by jumping off the temple, and you'll be famous. So, next, Satan actually seems to be trying to help Jesus here. He's like, Jesus, let's do a grand opening for your ministry. Just jump off of here, everybody will see it. You you'll have all these followers it will be great verse 9 and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him the pinnacle of the temple there said to him if you are the son of God here we go again if you are the son of God throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels notice now Satan says "It is written Satan's quoting Scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus has been throwing Scripture in Satan's face at every turn. Now Satan decides to fight fire with fire. One preacher did a whole sermon just on this part of the passage, and he titled his sermon, It's Scripture. So jump. So Jesus is likely on the southeast corner of the temple The temple mount Where there is this breathtaking view of the Kidron Valley With a 450 foot drop And Satan says, jump God will send his angels to catch you Everyone will see And they will start following you Make a spectacle of yourself Because that's what you're here for, isn't it? And Satan quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12, or he might have been quoting from the Josh Groban song, <laughs> "On Eagles' Wings." Remember that. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. So Satan is quoting this verse, what is it, Psalm 91, and according to Psalm 91, what is it that is going to cause the Lord to catch you, to cause the Lord and his angels to do this for you? Psalm 91, verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. If you fall, he will bear you up. You won't get hurt by the lion or the serpent. So the psalmist is not encouraging people to presumptuously engage in dangerous, life-threatening behavior, but rather he is speaking of the protection that God offers to those who put their trust in him. It would be very foolish to jump into the lion's cage at the zoo. But Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, and the cat's him no harm. It would be very foolish to get involved in snake handling services. But Paul gets bit by a poisonous snake, and he survives. Similarly, it would be very foolish for Jesus to just jump off the temple. But if he were to slip and fall, God's angels would bear him up. Now, sometimes worldly people engage in dangerous, life-threatening behaviors in some kind of a foolish test of God. They say, if God stops me, or if God saves me, then I'll know he's real. I say, if God doesn't save you, then you'll know very quickly if he's real. <laughs> William Hendrickson, he says, this kind of long quote, but that was really good. So I'm gonna show it. Daily life all around us affords abundant illustrations of false confidence, similar to that which the devil urged Jesus to exercise. A person will earnestly beseech the Lord to bestow on him the blessing of health. God, please make me healthy. But he'll neglect eating right, exercise. He neglects to observe the rules of health while praying for him. Or he will ask God to save his soul. God, save me, please. However, he neglects to use the means of grace, such as the study of Scripture, church attendance, the sacraments, living a life for the benefit and of others to the glory of God. Again, someone will plead with the Lord, for the spiritual as well as physical welfare of his children. God, save my children, help them to get on the right track. But he himself neglects to bring them up in the way of the Lord. A church member, true story, who had been admonished or rebuked because at a circus he had eagerly rushed into a corrupt sideshow, defended himself by saying, I cannot deny that I went in there. But while I was there, I was constantly praying. Turn my my eyes away from me, holy vanity. Turn my eyes. How about just getting out of (laughs) it? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Is the answer to all of this? To all of this foolishness. Satan says the Bible says he'll catch you, so just jump. Jesus, verse twelve. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he, here Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. The whole verse says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Remember Massa. The Israelites left Egypt. They're heading towards Mount Sinai. And at Massa, the Israelites run out of water. They gripe and they complain against Moses and against God. Have you led us here to die? They make their accusation. In their little court of law, they set up God as the accused. As prosecuting attorneys, they make their case against him. Their case is simple. God, you have not provided for us. We can't trust you. They question is the Lord among us or not? And God plays along with their foolishness. God takes the stand. He faces his accusers. He says in Exodus seventeen six, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. The message is simple. You are the sinful ones, but I will take the blows so that you can drink. This is reminiscent of Zechariah and Ezekiel, where living water flows from the throne of God. It is reminiscent of Jesus on the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles in John seven thirty seven, where he says in front of all the people, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is reminiscent of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well and offering her living water. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says about Massa, he says, The rock was Christ. At the end of Jesus' life, just like in Exodus 17 at Massa, once more Jesus takes the stand. Jesus faces his accusers, he makes no defense. Ultimately, he is crucified. He is struck, just like the rock. He is pierced, and water flows out. It is a sinful thing to put God on the stand, to doubt his word, to make accusations against your creator. Satan in the garden, he says to Eve, Hath God said, He questions the truthfulness of God. And Eve and Adam, they entertain these accusations against their creator. They passively listen while Satan puts God to the test. In Luke 4, Jesus in the wilderness, he will have none of it. He will not passively listen when the devil puts God to the test. And so Jesus takes Satan all the way back to that day in the wilderness where Israel learned not to doubt their God. And he says, no, 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 no. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. James 4, verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus resists at every point and the devil takes off. Why is Satan having a heyday in your home. Have you resisted? Are you fighting back? Do you have the sword and shield? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you praying? Are you worshiping the Lord as a family? Are you serving? Resist the devil and he will flee. Luke 4, look at verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. Not forever. He was looking for an opportunity. Satan's always looking for an opportunity in your life. He's looking for that moment when you are the weakest. When you need to be thinking, halt, halt, halt. Maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses have stopped knocking at your door. But Satan will not. He will flee for a time. He goes off to regroup to rethink his strategy, to look for an opportune time. But ultimately, his goal is to return and destroy you. Resist and resist and keep on resisting. Every day, take up the whole armor of God. It's interesting to compare and contrast the temptation of Jesus to the temptation of Adam. So the first Adam and the second Adam. So Adam is in the garden. Jesus is in the wilderness. Adam had Eve. Jesus had no one. I he was full of the Holy Spirit. Adam was in a whole garden full of food. Jesus had no food. He'd been fasting for 40 days. Adam has one temptation. Jesus has 40 days of temptation plus these three final temptations. Adam is promised knowledge. Jesus is promised food, authority, and fame. Adam faces one measly temptation. And just like us, he just dies right in. Jesus faces 40 days of fierce attacks and these three final temptations. And Jesus resists the devil at every point. Jesus spent his life acquiring a record of righteousness. A record that could be imputed to us. Credited to us. He came as the second Adam on a mission to succeed where the first Adam had failed. Romans 5.19 And I want to end where I began. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to halt when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Help us to find that place of solitude, that time alone with you, where we can get filled up, where we can get energized, where we can get our marchy orders so we are ready to face the battles of the day. I pray that you give us faith to believe that our suffering is for good. Help us to stand in times of suffering, to trust you. Lord, we grow weary in these days where Satan has power in the world. We thank you that he is a defeated foe. You will cast him into the lake of fire. And we will ultimately be free of him. We will shake the dust from our feet and wipe our hands and walk away to be tempted by him no more. Lord, remind us to resist the devil. And Lord, I, I sense that maybe there's some here today that have given up the fight. they like, they're thinking, i tried so many times and I just keep failing. Help them to remember that your grace is enough. And I pray that they put that shield back on and grab that sword and run back into the battle today. Jesus, you were victorious. You were victorious in the wilderness. You were victorious on the cross. And we honor you today as the righteous one and the kind one who was willing to give your righteousness to us.